you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to a brand new edition of Tapeheads Draft Season. Bob Schusen, longtime radio voice of the New York Jets, college football announcer for ESPN as well, and just a football nerd. I like to crawl behind the X's and O's and get to the heart of the game with the guys that know how to do that all during the regular season. Uh, on tape heads we broke down the film with scott pioli and dan orlovsky week by week game by game now it is draft season and now we go to a guy that has spent over 40 years at nfl films watching the all 22 watching schematics and get you set for the draft as well by watching players in college and projecting them to the league and that of course is greg cosell and nobody does the breakdowns of the tape better Greg, than you, uh, starting a brand new episode here on Tape Heads as we gear up for the quarterbacks. We're going to talk about the prospects themselves a little bit later on. We spent some time on Tuesday talking about this, but to do even a deeper dive on philosophically what an NFL team is looking for in a quarterback, and then we'll project that with the prospects in this draft because there are some very varied prospects in this draft. It's a really yeah. interesting quarterback draft, and not a lot of guys predicted, as opposed to most other drafts, to go right at the top of the draft. So there's going to be a lot of debate where these guys are taken, when they're taken, who takes them. It's going to be fascinating. But just a basic fundamental foundation of what NFL teams need a quarterback to be able to do in today's NFL and how you look at that with this class as we project this this draft season. Yeah, and that's really the starting point question is, what are you asking a quarterback to do at the NFL level? It's very easy, Bob, to look at a quarterback and, and see traits. Um, and we'll get to someone like Malik Willis, who's a traits player. But what are you asking him to do? What does he need to be able to do to be successful at this level? And there's a lot clearly that goes into that. But sooner or later, what he's going to be able to need to do is to drop back 
and deliver the football against defenses that have the tactical advantage. So you have to think of it that way. There's proactive down and distances in the NFL, and there's reactive down and distances in the NFL. So first and ten, second and three, those are proactive down and distances for the offense. The playbook is open. You can attack the defense based on what you know you're going to get because the defense has certain tendencies. So then your quarterback can do different things and be much more proactive. When you get to long yardage situations, the defense has the tactical advantage. They have it with the speed they can put out there. They have it with their coverage schemes. They have it with their pressure schemes, their ability to disguise and move late just before the snap of the ball. And your quarterback is in those situations has to be able to throw the ball more than three or four yards down the field. And he has to be able to deal with all of those things in a brief amount of time. Somewhere along the line in every game, your quarterback is going to have to be able to do that. So ultimately, when you draft a quarterback, you're going to have to feel not that he can run the RPO game, not that he can run the zone read game when it's second and two, but that he's going to be able to drop back on third and nine, stand in the pocket, see everything he needs to see in two seconds or 2.5 seconds and deliver the football to the right receiver with precise ball placement. That's what quarterbacks have to be able to do at the NFL level. Yeah, I worked uh, a whole season with Brian Greasy of ESPN College Football. Yeah, really good. And I remember asking Brian, just give me some of the differences between playing quarterback at like a lower level in school than when you get to the NFL. And he was like, the easiest way I can explain it is in high school, a wide receiver is open when he's got like a four or five yard yeah. separation from a corner. In college, a wide receiver is open when he's got maybe a yard or two separation from a corner. And now I've got to deliver it to a window. That corner could break on it, could make a play. But I could see there's some space there. That guy's open. In the NFL, a guy is open at times when I can't see him. Correct. Right? Like, I, he, he may not even be visible to me, but he's open. By NFL standards, where I've got to put the football, that guy's open. And how hard it is to then project the ability of a college player to be able to do that. And to see it, right? To see oh, it as well. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's two terms that I use, and I'm not saying I'm the only one who came up with this, but a lot of people use the word processing. About four or five years ago when I was watching tape, I just thought to myself, well, what does processing really mean? And I said to myself, what we're talking about is the ability to eliminate what's not there and isolate what is there within the structure and timing of the play. So I started to use the term eliminate and isolate, and that's really hard to do. And the other term is ball placement. People say accuracy. I always think in terms of ball placement, and it relates exactly to what you spoke about with Brian Greasy. Ball placement in the NFL becomes really, really important because open in the NFL is a relative word. And run after catch is more a function of the quarterback than the receiver in the NFL. In college, it's more a function of the receiver. In the NFL, it's far more a function of the quarterback and where he places the ball. And as far as quarterbacks, like just the mental capacity, how do they test that? Like give us yeah. some examples of how teams try and take a guy that between the ears may not have been tested 
nearly obviously at the NFL level, but based on whatever system a player may have run, the level of competition, like again, for a Malik Willis, how hard that is to, like how much was this guy challenged mentally playing at that level in college football to now making the jump to the NFL and how teams try and diagnose that as they put them, you know, where and when on their board. Yeah, and that's why there's more and more tests that are being uh, brought out now by different people who do these studies. That's why I think the Wonderlick test is falling by the wayside because ultimately that there's no correlation between that test and how a quarterback might see something in 2 or 2.5 seconds. But you make a great point about Malik Willis because Malik Willis really was not asked to do the kinds of things as a drop-back quarterback that he will eventually have to do in the league. So if you talk about him, you're dealing with a quarterback with a big arm. You're talking about a quarterback that has unbelievable athletic ability. So you're dealing with a traits player, a dual-threat playmaking quarterback. So the question now is... When is he ready to play? Or if you draft him early and you feel like he's ready right away, how much is he going to rely on his ability just to run around? And as you know, he'll make some plays doing that. But he was not asked to be a higher-level progression reader. He was not asked to have a detailed understanding of coverages or coverage rotation. All this must be learned. So when you do your due diligence, you spend a day with him, two days, whatever teams do, You have to try to figure out how quickly that can occur because don't forget, now you're getting into what an offensive coordinator can call in given situations because if he limits what you can do, the defense knows that as well, Bob, and it makes it easier for a defense to defend you. And this is combine week as well. So not only are the quarterbacks being put through their paces – And look, throwing in shorts and a T-shirt, I'm not sure how much you really get out of that. But one thing that the teams learn this week about these players is exactly how big they are and exactly how big their hands are and exactly how much they weigh and how tall they are. And, you know, I mean, the media guide, I know from, you know, experience, when you put your chart together, the media guide height and weight, not always as accurate as we would (laughs) like it to be for these guys once they get to the combine. But having said that, Whether there is some question about, like, is Matt Corral big enough to play in the NFL? Malik Willis, Sam Howell is another guy that's probably going to show up back end of the first round, early part of the second round. We're going to get into these prospects specifically coming up the next couple of segments. But just generally speaking, how much has life changed in the NFL over the last 10 years or so for evaluators when they're looking at how big the player just physically has to be, like with the Russell Wilsons, yeah. the Kyler Murrays, the, the smaller quarterbacks, the the guys that 10, 15 years ago we were told just can't play the position, right? Like the, Drew Brees is a complete outlier. I'm not drafted a guy who's 6'1", 6'2". I need the six foot four, 225-pound Adonis to stand in the pocket, take a hit, and deliver the football. Well, wait a minute. Now we are seeing guys of all varied shapes and sizes play the position. How hard or easy or how wide-angle lens now to NFL teams have to look at these different sized guys when they try and pick one? My guess is it's not as big a part of the equation as it was. I mean, go back almost 20 years ago to 2003 with Carson Palmer. 6'5", 235, 
that was the prototype. Right. Uh, I think teams would still like a guy like that, but he was a special thrower of the football, and there's not a lot of guys who are special throwers like Carson Palmer. But I think when it comes to size, and we'll talk Matt Corral more in the next segment, but someone like Matt Corral, I don't think his size will be held against him. The question then becomes, what do you ask him to do in the NFL? Because at Ole Miss, they asked him to run the ball by design an awful lot. And you just wonder at his size if he can run the ball by design that much at the NFL level. Well, the time has come for us to start actually talking about these prospects, the pros and cons of the first quarterbacks that are going to come off the board and who is most ready for the NFL. We are going to talk about that as soon as we get back on Tapehead's draft season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't know what you think, and this is natural, you know. But I mean, <laughs> do you, you have know to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Tapehead's Draft Season. Bob Wachusen, Greg Cosell, crawling behind the X's and O's, doing a deep dive in the draft on this podcast, taking you from now all the way up to draft day. And you know what, Greg, we felt like we needed to begin with the quarterbacks because the quarterbacks are always the players that draw the most attention and there's the most debate about. Now, look, this is a very interesting draft because these quarterbacks we're going to talk about, none of them are projected to be top three, top five, maybe even top seven players. Someone can surprise. There have been players that have dropped out of nowhere 
and we've been stunned um, when they've gone in the top five or the top seven of the draft, guys that were projected not even be first-round picks. So it's always possible that someone rockets up the board as he head towards April, but the pass rushers, the corners, the tackles, those are the guys we're going to do a deep dive into as well that we expect to be the top players picked. But the quarterbacks, for that, I think in this draft alone, interesting because so much debate can go back and forth about them. And I think Kenny Pickett's probably the guy that most think yeah. might be the first off the board. So why? What do you think it is about Pickett and his translation to the NFL that makes him maybe the most attractive prospect? Well, first of all, we do have numbers on him because he was at the Senior Bowl. He's over 6'3", and he's 220. So he's built the way you'd like an NFL quarterback to be built. And his overall skill set, Bob, and traits profile projects really well. He's got a desirable combination of pocket efficiency. He can move. He's got secondary action movement. Um, and keep in mind, Mark Whipple was his offensive coordinator at Pitt, and he was in the NFL for a number of years. So Pickett is very well-schooled in multiple NFL passing game concepts with the reads and progressions that define them. He's worked all three levels of the defense with the different drop timing, the different progression reads, demanded at each of the three levels levels. Um, so to me, Kenny Pickett is a quarterback that is ready to play. And don't forget, if you, if you follow the old Bill Parcells belief about how much a quarterback needs to play in college to be ready to play in the NFL, which of course nothing's 100%, but it was a Bill Parcells belief, Kenny Pickett falls into that category with the number of starts he had in college. He had 49 career starts. Um, so he's got, his college tape shows you that he can run principles and concepts that he will have to run in the NFL. He has vision. He can progression read. He has timing. He has anticipation. His ball placement for the most part is good. Plus, he's got athleticism and mobility to make secondary action plays. We saw that against Clemson in a game where he really had to make some secondary action plays, and he's got a, a little bit of competitive moxie to him as well. Although he's not projected to be the first pick of the draft, a lot of mock drafts don't even have him going before the yep. middle of the first round. So why? I don't because you you just checked a lot of boxes. <laughs> yeah, right. Like if I was a talent evaluator in the NFL, and you just without throwing a name at it said, "I've got a quarterback for you." He throws with anticipation. I've got tape where a wide receiver hasn't even turned his head around much. Yes, even come out of his break and the ball's out. He can place it. He's big enough. He's run NFL concepts. He's got vision. I'd be sitting there saying, well, "Wow." That this sounds like a guy that I might take first in the draft. What's holding him back? Why would he not be yeah. higher on the board of most teams? Because there are teams in the top five that are going to need a quarterback. And you know what, Bob? That's a great question. I can only tell you what I see when I watch his tape. We're going to get into the hand size issue. Uh, he has small hands. Um, we're going to get into the arm strength issue. It's more measured than live and loose, which will be a factor for some teams. And from what I understand, uh, at the Senior Bowl, when the weather wasn't very good, he did not throw the ball particularly well. So you're going to get into that issue. Um, he did have a tendency at times to perceive pressure and break the pocket unnecessarily, 
but a lot of college quarterbacks do that. Yeah. Uh, Sam Howell does that quite a bit, by the way. So uh, I, I think it's it's the it's the arm strength issue, and arm strength is always a relative discussion, Bob, as you know. You know, some people don't think it's a big deal. It did not seem to be a big deal for Mac Jones when he was the 15th pick in the draft. Um, for others, it is a big deal. So I think that that's one issue, and the hand size. You know as well as I do that there are certain teams that have specific parameters and guidelines for every position. You know, and like corner. We're not drafting a corner if he's under six feet. We're not even considering him. You know, maybe with Pickett, who I know, I don't know what the his hand size exactly is. Um, I guess we know that uh, with the combine, you know, coming up here. But the bottom line is, is that will be an issue for some teams. How about Matt Corral? Like a lot of the same questions about him physically, yeah. but if there's a league that you want to measure a guy against, he played in the right league, right? Like, sure. obviously, the ACC's been down, not a great league. We've had other guys like a Malik Willis, a Malik Willis, a you know a Carson Strong that are certainly going to be on the board, but did not play even in a Power Five league, much less against you know big time competition every week. Corral did. So, so where do you put him? Yeah, he's a fascinating study because he's kind of a twitchy athlete. He's got a plus arm, not a gun, but a plus arm. He did show the ability in Lane Kiffin's offense to work all three levels of the defense. We know he's an actively mobile player. He has a playmaking dimension. He was asked to run an awful lot by design. That part you have to kind of push aside a little bit. Can he do that situationally in the NFL? Absolutely. But nowhere to the degree he did that at Ole Miss. Now, that Ole Miss offense had a very strong emphasis on quick rhythm throws off play action and the RPO game. Now, as I said, you can do that in the NFL proactively depending on down and distance. But the big question with Matt Corral will be what happens when you get into those longer yardage situations. Will he sit in the pocket and read it out? Will he look to leave the pocket because he's very comfortable running? So that is really the key question to me, how fast he can see it on pro pass game concepts when the, the situation, the down-and-distance situation, demands that he have to do that. How much of a corral pick would be system-based Yeah, great as point. well in the NFL, right? Like, what teams do you maybe have on the list that would be looking at him that might surprise or we might be not be thinking about? Because, like you said, with Pickett, he seems to check a lot of the standard boxes of an NFL quarterback that maybe he could fit or play anywhere Corral strikes me as a guy that would be more team-specific, like a specific coach, yeah. a specific offensive coordinator, a specific group of skill guys around him. You know, they may look at him and say he might fit with us in a way he doesn't fit elsewhere. What kind of a team you think might look at Corral that might not look maybe you – know, or might not jump to mind – where, you know, we're, we're thinking, you know, Corral might go earlier rather than later? That's a great question because I think you have to think of teams that feature the RPO game, uh, that feature a lot of play action. Now, he did not really play under center a whole lot, but that can be taught. Um, and, and what under center play action does, by the way, is it defines reads and throws. You think of a team like the 49ers, their offense is like that. Not that they're going to draft them. They have Trey Lance. But team, uh, a team like that, I think teams like, and again, you never know what team is looking for a quarterback. Um, Cleveland, under Kevin Stefanski, they run that style of offense. Um, 
So he needs to be in a system where there's play action, there's RPOs, and it's defined for him. Um, and, of course, all coaches try to do that. Some do it more and better than others. But that's what you really want him to, to be able to do. And don't forget, he's a shorter quarterback, so you're not really going to ask him to sit in the pocket and, and have to wait and sit on his back foot and drive the ball where the bodies get closer to him. At this point in his career, he's probably not going to wait in the pocket anyway. He's going to get out of there if he feels any closeness of pressure at all. Yep, another guy that I think is fascinating. When Zach Taylor, earlier in his career, was the offensive coordinator at the University of Cincinnati, they were running a camp and they had a whole bunch of players there and at one point, he told his video guy, I don't care about anybody else at this camp. I want you to point your camera at that kid and just tape him for me all day. Yeah. And it was this skinny, scrawny, totally, like physically, completely unimpressive quarterback named Desmond Ritter that nobody had ever heard of before, right? He wasn't really like a, a nationally ranked prospect. But Zach Taylor is now, of course, the head coach of a team that just got to the Super Bowl uh, when he was still in college was saying that that's how long Desmond Ritter, by the way, has been in Cincinnati. That <laughs> guy just looks to me like there's tools there. Now, he goes on to get a team to the college football playoff as the first non-Power 5 team to ever do it. Tremendously accomplished career. He's a dad. He's really stable. Like, he's got a lot of the maturity yeah. elements, I think, that a guy intangibles-wise should bring to the NFL. But he's a weird player physically and skill set-wise as well. So, like, he could project really nicely with some teams, and he's a tough projection with others. Where do you put him? He is the most fascinating guy. He weighed 207. Um, he'll probably get to 215 or more than that. He's 6'3". Um, and I've studied him in detail. I've actually studied him in each of the last three seasons. And I think he's a pretty accomplished quarterback. Um, I think he's got size. He's got enough arm strength. He can muscle it up when he needs to. He does not have a power arm, but he can. it's live enough that he can make throws. Um, he's got mobility, clearly. So he gives you not only the second reaction play, but he does give you the design quarterback run game. He's got a natural sense of poise and composure, Bob, which I think really stands out. Now, when you look at the negatives, which is why he's not being thought of high, is he's got a little bit of an elongated delivery. There's a lot of motion in his delivery, and that can negatively impact both ball placement and velocity. He has a tendency at times to drop his arm angle just a little bit, and that caused the ball to sail, resulting in high throws. So his ball placement is a bit of a concern, and he misses too many routine throws because of it. You can't miss the layups in the NFL. Right. Well, these are just three of the prospects. There are three more that kind of leap to mind. Sam Howell, Carson Strong, Malik Willis. We're going to talk about those three guys when we come back. And also, before we wrap up this edition of Tapehead's Draft Season, get Greg's take, not specifically on which team we think might take these guys. If that's where he wants to go, great. But just generally speaking, where do you expect these guys all to go? in the draft like what kind of a grade would you put on them because that'll at least put them in a range if you're a fan out there of a certain team where i've got to pick late first round early second round who could i expect to still be on the board when my pick comes up if my team needs a quarterback we're going to talk about all of that when we come back on tapeheads draft season you go into your shower feeling tired 
But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we are back here on Tapeheads Draft Season. Bob Wischusen, Greg Cosell. We've been spending a lot of time on the quarterbacks today, not just the specific prospects, but just philosophically, what these teams are looking for when they try to evaluate these players. And there are a lot of pros and cons with the quarterbacks in this specific draft that have led to a lot of uncertainty as to where these guys might fall. I mean, we get in some mock drafts, the same player that shows up in the top 12 or top 15 might not even appear until the third round in some other drafts. And quarterbacks, of course, the most important commodity for any NFL team to get their hands on. So, Greg, we talked about Pickett, Corral, Ritter. There are three more, though, that I think certainly jump to mind. Sam Howell from North Carolina put up some prodigious passing numbers a couple of years ago when he had three NFL guys to throw the ball to and two NFL running backs behind him, that offense was about as good as any in all of college football. He engineered it, took a step back a little bit production-wise once all those weapons went to the NFL this past year. I guess that's understandable. Smaller guy, um, you know, like a lot to like about Sam Howell, but I guess a lot to question as well. Yeah, and I think he's going to be one of the most fascinating evaluations, to be honest with you, because, uh, yeah, he's, he's six feet and a quarter inch. And, and as we said uh, in a previous segment, that's not a big deal, not as big a deal as it used to be. He, he sh- so he's a little shorter than you ideally want, but he's solidly and compactly built. He's got a strong frame. He's got really high-level competitiveness. 
There's no question he possesses NFL traits. He's got a pretty good arm. He can drive the ball at the intermediate and deeper levels. He's got that running dimension, uh, which both by design and and improvisationally, um, very much a predetermined thrower, Bob, in North Carolina's offense. And that's something that teams will have to work through because when that predetermined throw was not there, he tended to leave the pocket. Now, he may have been taught that way, and that's something that when you do your due diligence, you have to find out. If he was taught that way, you have to find out then what his learning curve is and how quickly he can assimilate and learn new information. Now we've got two guys that are kind of on an island under themselves in terms of the projection of ability as compared to like where they played, the level of competition they played against, because Pickett, Corral, Howell, they played in Power 5 leagues. Yep. Uh, on TV all the time, we watch them all the time, we obviously have a good feel for them. Even Desmond Ritter played in a non-Power 5 league, but the Americans on TV all the time, and his team went to the college football playoffs. So I think a lot of people watched a lot of Desmond Ritter. We've got Carson Strong and Malik Willis, who are on a lot of draft boards, if not in the top two rounds, certainly maybe even towards the top of the second round, maybe sneaking into the back end of the first round. Who knows? So give us, you know, a 4,000-yard passer, 70% completion at Nevada for Carson Strong, but not many people have seen him. Yeah, Carson Strong's an interesting guy because he's a little old school. He's a pocket quarterback, and the question will be for people, is he a good enough pocket quarterback to really become a factor in the NFL? His game's built on beating you from the pocket. He has almost no significant or game-changing secondary action movement ability. He has to master all the nuances, subtleties, and disciplines of the position. And by that, Bob, I mean he must be phenomenal before the snap of the ball. He has to learn how to win before the ball snapped. And he has to really be able to work out of muddied and noisy pockets where there are people around him because he's not going to leave the pocket. He's not going to make plays with his legs. So he has to be able to make throws with bodies around him and not break down. Stand and deliver. Old school pocket quarterback play where you stand and deliver and you maybe you take a shot. But he's going to have to be a master at the pre-snap phase of the game so he can win before the ball's even snapped. So he's not going to be for everyone. My guess is he will not be seen as a first-round pick by most. All right. And Malik Willis, you know, again, kind of a wild card in this draft. Um, Where would you slot him you know, ability-wise, what are the big question marks around Malik Willis? Well, you can't teach what he does have, which is phenomenal throwing ability mm-hmm. and phenomenal athleticism. Here's the paradigm with Malik Willis. It's raw talent, high level, versus refinement, nuance, discipline, low level. So what's the balance there? How quickly can you get to the refinement, nuance, discipline? And does the run game dimension, both by design And second reaction, can that compensate and camouflage his deficiencies and limitations earlier in his career? Or is he such a significant work in progress that if you draft him, you feel like he's not ready to play? Or do you do the Lamar Jackson offense that the Ravens did the first year or two with Lamar, where the offense was built around him as a runner? So there's a there's a number of things to work through with Malik Willis here, but clearly you cannot teach his throwing ability and his athletic traits. All right. So now big picture, we've touched on all six of these guys 
And if you look at the different teams that could need quarterbacks in this draft, right at the top of the board, you've got the Detroits, you've got the Houstons, uh, Carolina arguably could use a quarterback. They've got one last year to decide on Sam Darnold. You move deeper into the first round, you've got Washington, uh, Philadelphia. How do they feel about Jalen Hurts? They've got three picks out of five or three picks out of six in the teams. So they could spend one on a quarterback. Or the deeper you go, I mean, Detroit's got the last pick of the first round. They could wait on one of these quarterbacks. You get to the second round, maybe, you know, a team like the Saints. um, Who knows? There's there's a lot of different areas of the draft. So without doing a mock draft and saying, I think this guy, you know, this team's going to pick this guy, just give me a little overview of these six guys and where you expect, generally speaking, these quarterbacks would start to go off the board. I think Carolina's the wild card here at six. I think ultimately Matt Rule would like to have an offense that's built on the run game and the play-action pass game that works off of that. So, you know, if you think that way, um, you can think in terms of someone like Matt Corral. And again, I'm not saying that these players should be drafted there or not. I'm just trying to think philosophically and conceptually how a team wants to play offense. Um, you know, I think Kenny Pickett checks most boxes, as you said. Um, I think, obviously, he does not have a power arm, but he can certainly throw the deep ball. So, to me, Kenny Pickett could go anywhere with any team. I think the big question becomes nine at with Denver because Nathaniel Hackett's there. He was just in Green Bay, and that was the Matt LaFleur offense, which is the Kyle Shanahan offense. So, again, you're dealing with the play-action pass game, and the quarterback being able to execute that, those are very defined reads and throws. And theoretically, any quarterback can function in that effectively because it's, it, it defines itself. So Denver then comes down to, and, and I personally believe they will pick a quarterback. I couldn't tell you which one, Bob. But I think that with the nature of that offense, that they clearly will go for a quarterback, and it could be anybody. And my guess is Pickett will be there at 9. To me, he's the guy. Washington at 11, we never mentioned them. They are clearly in the quarterback market. And that's the Scott Turner offense, which is very similar to his dad's offense, Norv Turner. They like the play-action pass game, the deeper drop drive the ball down the field, a lot of in-breaking routes at, you know, the dig balls, you know, so again, you're dealing with a play-action pass game, Um, you know, and then to me, the wild card in all this, believe it or not, is Indianapolis at 16. As we sit here on a Thursday during the combine, Indianapolis has made it clear kind of that Carson Wentz is not their guy. They got to line up with someone, and my guess is it's not going to be Sam Ellinger, who they drafted in the sixth round a year ago. So they're a team that could easily. I guess they're not at sixteen. Philly, I believe, has that pick, but right. but Indy is a team that needs a quarterback. So where do they? Where? What do they do? Um, and the Jalen Hurts question is a really big one because Jalen Hurts obviously was a rook, uh, was a second year player a year ago. They ran an offense that in some ways, in some ways, was similar to what the Ravens did, Bob. And my sense is, and I could be wrong on this, my sense is that both Harry Roseman and Nick Sirianni want the pass game to be much more conventional and, and traditional in terms of an NFL pass game. And they have a big decision as to whether they think Jalen Hurts can move in that direction or not. And I think that's a, a bigger decision than people might think. Yep, and it's really not our domain on this podcast to get in the talk show world and talk about the rumor mill. But the one curveball, of course, with Denver 
is Aaron Rodgers. Right, like what happens? The only reason you thought, you know, obviously on the surface, the reason they bring Nathaniel Hackett there is because that's supposed to then bring Aaron right, Rodgers right, right. when he hits what you know free agency right. along with him. So, like, could you see some of these quarterbacks though being in the developmental world enough? Where I mean, how many more years is Aaron Rodgers going to play? Right. Could you take a quarterback at nine and say, you know what, Bub, you're going to be Aaron Rodgers. You're going to sit for two or three years behind the legend, and then when you have a chance to play, you're going to be set up for success the same way Aaron Rodgers was in Green Bay, something we never do anymore in the NFL with quarterbacks. Well, like quarterbacks get drafted in the top ten, they play. No All question. No matter, yeah. no matter what, and if the teams tell you these guys aren't going to play, they are lying to you. We've they are that. going oh, to play. We see course. it all the time. Yep. Could, could Denver theoretically take one of these guys and stick them behind Aaron Rodgers for a couple of years? Sure. I mean, um, and, and I think that's the issue in this draft overall. Let's put aside Denver. Let's just talk generally to wrap up about these quarterbacks. Yep. To me, with the, with the exception of Kenny Pickett, who I think is ready to play, you could make the argument easily that all these quarterbacks need time. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to play, Bob. It depends where they go. Look, I've spoken to many coaches over the years, as you have as well, who will tell you that ideally – that it really takes three or four years for a quarterback to be truly at the level he needs to be. Now, we know quarterbacks have stepped in and played well right from the start. Look, we've seen Joe Burrow get to the Super Bowl in his second year. You can go back as far as Matt Ryan stepped right in as a rookie with the Falcons and had a very good year. We know quarterbacks step in and clearly function, but coaches see that differently. They see the whole developmental process. So the question with these quarterbacks is, how long in the minds of coaches will it take for a Sam Howell, if you love Sam Howell, how long will it take him to truly be at the level you'd like him to be to function and execute your offense? Well, the closer we get to the draft, the more we're going to have a chance to talk not only about these quarterbacks, but we are really just getting started and just digging in here on Tapehead's draft season because the top prospects in the draft, mostly pass rushers, offensive linemen, corners there's a very interesting safety that everyone is projecting in the top four top five those are all prospects we're going to get into as the weeks go on and as we get closer and closer to the draft we'd love for you to hit us up on social media be sure to download and subscribe for greg cosell i'm bob shoes and we will be back next week with another edition of tapeheads draft season you go into your shower feeling tired But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.